tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 69. Well, it's officially fall here in Montana. The leaves are starting to drop from the trees as the temperatures begin to fall. I find myself pulling out my sweaters and getting my boots on. I love to bundle up for the cooler weather. But I know that there are some of you out there that are navigating seasons that are not a whole lot of fun. In the middle of this crazy time in the world, perhaps your life has felt like one long winter. Well, I want to encourage you, my friend. God's working in them all. Well, you guys, this conversation has been a long time in coming. I have um, just admired Jennifer Dukes Lee from afar and her ministry online, and I get to have her in my living room today. Well, my, you know, virtual (laughs) living room. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. This is so cool. And, you know, I was familiar with your work before I was even an author, before it even occurred to me that I would ever even write books. So if you would have told me, you know, eight, 10, whatever years ago that I would actually be having this kind of conversation with you, I would have said, no, that's just never going to happen. So this is such a privilege. You've ministered to my heart and I mean, hundreds of thousands of hearts through your books and your studies. And um, what an honor. Thank you for having me. Well, that means a lot. I, you know, it's just so amazing that God, he really does take what we put in his hands and he blesses it and he breaks it and he makes it enough. And um, which really kind of goes along with your new book of just seed and watering and harvest. And it's called Growing Slow. And I love this subtitle, Lessons on Unhurrying Your Heart from an Accidental Farm Girl. Tell us about this. How did this all come about? (laughs) The accidental part? (laughs) (laughs) So that that is a true story. I am an accidental farm girl. I grew up in a small town in Iowa and could not wait to get out of there. I lived in the same house all of my growing up years. Went to Iowa State. I was going to be a big city news reporter. And I actually did that for quite some time. And I lived a fast paced Mm -hmm. life. I covered crime. I covered plane crashes, tornadoes, presidential elections, which is a really big deal in Iowa because we have the first in the nation caucuses. Um, Yeah. (laughs) All right. And a lot of things happened in um, our lives, meaning my husband and my lives, our lives. And one of those was we knew we wanted to have children, but we couldn't sustain the pace of our life. And we did this thing of let's move back to his fifth generation family farm, which was not on my bucket list when I set out from Little Marathon, Iowa. But that's when my journey of growing slow happened. I didn't even realize it, that I was making such a healthy choice. It's, it seemed at the time like maybe a ridiculous choice. We had people criticizing us and telling us, oh, you're, you know, you're throwing away your potential. Scott had a law degree and then he was going to be a farmer. I was on the rise as a news reporter and just left that all behind. And I honestly, Joanna, I honestly didn't know if I'd ever get a write again because Mm. I hadn't even heard of a blog. 
Yeah. There wasn't really social media that I was aware of. And the idea of writing a book didn't really enter my mind. But all, but all of these things eventually happened. But in that interim period, I learned so many things about my own hurried heart yeah, and what I needed to do with God's help to unhurry it. And so that's the lesson that I bring to the page. And it's a lesson that I am still learning today, 15 years later here on the farm. Wow. Wow. Well, it's such a timely message, I think, because the crazy thing, even though we're kind of, Lord willing, coming out of this global pandemic in June 2021, I, I think for at least for me, I've just been as just as busy as I ever was. And so how how to um how to be faithful to the callings and the and the responsibilities God has placed on your life and yet maintain that unhurried heart because Jesus was never in a hurry. Mm-mm. So how okay, so you gotta help us, Jennifer. How, how, how? <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of how. And the first thing though that we really need to do is to adopt a new kind of mindset, which takes work and which took me 57,000 words to (laughs) really lay the framework for. It's deciding to adopt a new way of living because the way that it works now and the life, the way that we've been taught to get the life that we want is to chase that life down. Yeah. But to have the life that we really want means that we need to slow that life down. Yeah. So often we treat time like the enemy as if it's this thing to be squeezed into little boxes. We say things like hurry up or I'm running out of time or I just don't have enough time for whatever that happens to be that actually is really important, but you just keep putting it off because you don't have the time. But God teaches us that he has made friends with time and we can stop treating time as the enemy and begin to treat time as a friend Ecclesiastes 3 is a beautiful roadmap for how to operate in God's time. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has made everything beautiful in its time. So I think the first thing we need to do is to decide, is this worth it? Take an inventory. Do I have a hurried heart? Do I have physical symptoms of stress and anxiety and headaches and Poor sleep. Um, I had all of those kinds of problems that had physical, real physical trauma on my body that I recognized and a doctor recognized as being symptoms of hurrying. And I had to take a lot of very practical steps to unravel myself from a life of hurry. So, yes, adopting that big philosophy is important. But there's all kinds of little things that we can do every day. And I'd be happy to walk your listeners through some of those as well. Yeah. Well, I like that idea of like, even just recognizing that what we're suffering from is hurry. Because we think it's, well, if that situation was different, if if we had more money in the bank and all of these things that we think, but so how do we determine if it really is hurry and and not just some other sort of stress? Right. So, I mean, for me, I went to the doctor because I didn't know if there was something physically wrong with me as far as like, did I have some kind of condition? Did I have high blood pressure? 
But there are, when you live a life of hurry, there are hormonal changes and things that happen inside of your body with cortisol and with adrenaline, where when your feet hit the floor from the first minute of the day, if you pick up your phone, you're already sending your body into fight or flight mode. Mm. And you become an adrenaline junkie all day long, moving from one problem that must be solved to another to another. And that's why at the end of the day, when we go to bed, so often we, we think to ourselves, man, I was so busy, but I just didn't feel like I was that productive. Like, what did I really have to show for it? Uh, so it's, you know, it's something that's hard to kind of put um, uh, your your hands around to say this is for sure hurry. But there are things that you can practically do to stop the cycle of hurry and see if you feel different, even in a week or two's time. So a few of the tips that I suggest to people that are tested in my life and in many the lives of many people who are taking the growing slow journey Number one, to get up 10 minutes earlier than you normally would, which means you may need to go to bed 10 minutes earlier and decide I'm going to welcome the day in a certain way. Um, And that may include Bible reading. It may include just simply putting your feet on the floor or walking outside to stand under a big open sky and pay attention to the natural world and water your hydrangea bushes or whatever it is to, to take Intent, be intentional about taking the day into your hands and holding it open before a loving God, knowing that he is in control and can be trusted with the outcomes of the day. It really sets a tone better than first thing when I wake up, check my email, check my Instagram, check my texts, because then you're right into that fight or flight mode. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's definitely one. Another one is to sit down while you're eating and actually taste the food. So much of our life is built around fast food and, you know, getting things done quickly. Food is a gift from our Lord. One of the, one of the most beautiful things, in my opinion, that God created was taste buds. And we're eating so quickly that we can't even taste the food. And so it doesn't have to be gourmet. I mean, just to sit down and enjoy the food, uh, to stop multitasking. A lot of people who are productive think that the best way to get things done is to do a lot of things at once. But we all know that when we have 15 tabs open on the computer or 15 tabs open in our head, (laughs) that is very difficult to be uh, productive. So batching tasks or unitasking or single tasking is much more productive. So in the end, Joanna, all of these things will make you more productive. Like growing slow is actually surprisingly a superpower because the things that we care about, the the things in life that we really, you know, we it's good to want to be successful in our businesses. That's fine. God gives us good good work to do. And we want to have healthy relationships with those around us. And what we want to have time for vacations. All of those things are important. And the growing slow way opens the door to all of those things and so much more. 
Mm, so, so good. I love the table of contents. I just, you've got it kind of broken up into the seasons. But under spring planting, I love this. The first chapter, like you just hooked me with the first chapter. Permission to be unspectacular. I love that. Come on, tell me all about that. <laughs> I, I think this is important. I think um, from from the first day that I stepped on a college campus at Iowa State University, I had the desire to be somebody very special. And um, I don't know if that was fame or what it was, but I, I really wanted to, to be somebody. And I thought that was the way to get there was to do all kinds of spectacular things in this world so that my name would be remembered and so that I would have done all kinds, and, and not just for my name, but I just, I had to do all kinds of really great and amazing and spectacular things. And that's the lesson really from culture to us again and again, be spectacular, be a somebody, climb the ladder, whatever it is. And um, I think that what we really need is to give ourselves permission to be unspectacular instead of looking for meaning in life that is somewhere ahead that we recognize the meaning of our life as it already is, no matter what we are growing or how successful we think we are or what we have to show for our lives thus far. And it creates a sense of peace and delight really in knowing that the ordinary mundane things of life uh, where God enters in and is present with us are very, very special. And we all know that instinctively when we start to look back a little bit on our lives and think about what matters most. And it's not often huge accomplishments. It's the little things that make us who we are. And growing slow creates a mechanism and a device and permission to call out and validate the good small things that we are growing. Mm, so, so good. It's it's that great becoming, you know, yes. where it's the unfolding of who we are and who God has made us to be. I I kept wanting the magic wand. I I will like you had a deep desire to be significant. And I can't say it was always about Jesus. <laughs> I wanted it to be. I really did. Yeah. But my flesh woman, my flesh woman had a desperate need to be significant. And I I remember, you know, the Lord just would frustrate all of my ambition every which way and because it, it had to die. I mean, there was some of it that was beautiful and pure. Uh, like you say, like that, there's something inside of us that's good, but boy, the flesh can wrap up around it and, and make us so dissatisfied with where we are and what we have, always thinking that more spectacular is better. What did living on the farm teach you about that part? Living on a farm affords us this view into the natural world and into seasons. In Iowa, we live where we have four very distinct seasons. And the crops that we grow go through a very distinct growing season. And it becomes a very beautiful and literal and more metaphorical and literal truths about growth. And Jesus loved talking about farming and seasons and the land. 
the people who were gathered on a Galilean hillside would have known exactly what he was talking about when he was talking about the seed dying or threshing or mustard seeds or just really any of that imagery because they themselves probably had their hands dirty from farming earlier that day. And so for me, I began to look to the land for a meaningful picture of what it means to grow and to really grow slowly. When we put seeds in these 700 acres in the spring, my husband puts down literally millions of corn and soybean seeds. And in that spring season, we are just giddy because it's so exciting to know that in a few days, sometimes weeks, we will see growth. But there's this period where we see nothing. It looks like everything is dead. And, you know, these seeds are buried down in the dark. And if I were a corn plant, I would be totally freaking out. Like, why isn't anything growing here? But I've never seen a corn plant freaking out really? a single time. Never <laughs> once. Jesus said that plants do not labor or spin. <laughs> it hasn't happened. And so then the growth happens and summer growth provides an opportunity to, to just see God's faithfulness at work out in these fields. We can plant the seeds, but we literally have, there's really nothing else that we can do. Right now, we are waiting and praying for rain on these fields. And that's that's up to God to bring the rain when he feels that we need it. And then come harvest. We've all we all know what a glorious thing it is to go through a harvest season, whether that's crops on a farm or harvesting ideas or a business, or maybe, you know, sending the children off after you've raised them. There's all kinds of harvests and it provides a beautiful picture. Then comes winter. And I gotta tell you, Joanna, I did not want to write the winter seasons of the book. I sent mm -hmm. in two chapters. I'm like, that's enough. We do not need to belabor the point of winter because that nobody wants to deal with winter. And I told I told my agent that, I told my editor that, and they sent it back to me and they said, you have to write more about winter. You haven't you haven't done enough with this. There you have more to say. And it turns out that the most important chapter for me as a person is chapter 17, the slow healing work of God. Mm. And it's about the beautiful thing that happens in winter when there are actually rocks right now under the soil that we can't see. But come spring, those rocks will have emerged in the fields and we have to go out and pick them and you know, haul them away. Otherwise, they will hurt the farm equipment. And I realize that the same is true of us. Winter seasons of the soul can rise up rock kind of burdens in our hearts that God can pick up and haul away and place at the foot of the cross. And so for me, really writing that in a prolonged winter season of COVID, it was a, an interesting picture of what God can do in slowed down seasons that seem unproductive to actually create something new with the soil of our hearts. Yeah. And boy, we, like you say, we so avoid that or we're so mm -hmm. almost like we manufacture harvest <laughs> year round, <laughs> just so we don't have to really look at the hard things and God in his mercy. I don't know about you, but he arranges moments. Maybe it's a little accident with the farm equipment of my life because there's something he wants to deal with. And I love that he loves us that much. 
You know, mm-hmm. I've really been thinking about the timing of God because he's he doesn't seem like he's in a hurry. You know, it, you look at the stories of scripture and it's like, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. 25 years later, you have your first kid, <laughs> right? right? Like, you know, Joseph, everybody's going to bow down to you. Oh, but first there's got to be, you know, 13, 15 years of of heart of captivity right. and, you know, and so we keep thinking that all the promises of God and they are so beautiful and so precious, but we keep expecting them tomorrow afternoon or next week at the latest. And so then we get discouraged by the work. What? How can we navigate those, what I call the meantime, <laughs> you know, that painful <laughs> in between time where maybe it feels like winter and we don't see, we wonder, is there any life, because it feels like everything's dead and gone. Right. You know, there is a little Norwegian village called, I think it's Tromsø. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but they um, are a village that actually really embraces winter and they um, have a lot of celebrating and candles and campfires and um, gathering in homes and the little villages are lit up and everybody really looks forward to this time and it's very cozy and together. And I think that winter seasons provide us a built-in opportunity to pause. Like we were not made to be productive all the time. And it can be har- a hard word to hear, but it's not always our moment to shine. Right. It's not our always our moment to be spring planting and growing and succeeding and harvesting. Um, but the land shows us that one fourth of an entire growing season is in the dormancy of winter. What would it be like if we allowed that within us, taking moments, taking those winter moments to celebrate the good, the goodness of God, to light candles and to to ponder uh, what he has done for us in the past and uh, talk about, you know, talk about and ponder and consider the promises for our future, knowing that these winter seasons are preparing the soil in the same way that the soil is very much alive in winter There are little microbes and all kinds of things that happen in winter that can't happen in any other kind of season. In fact, when it snows, um, farmers call it poor man's fertilizer because of the nitrogen in the snow. And that's a natural way to fertilize the ground with the nitrogen. And so these winter seasons for us too, you know, if the fields need winter, then don't we as humans if trees need winter and rest, don't we? So using that opportunity, number one, to celebrate, number two, to rest, number three, to prepare our soil for the coming planting season, which will come. Yeah, that is so good. You know, I I think if we could embrace the seasons and trust the master farmer, the master gardener that... Okay, Lord. You know, it's just been interesting. I told you before we got on that I've been in this prolonged writing season. And, um, you know, I, I just like, oh, God, this can't be right. I'm messing it up. You know, I, I, what's wrong with me? Why can't I write faster? And, you know, I've just come to realize he knows my frame. He And he also knows what he wants to do, not only through me, but in me. And so to be I don't ever want to, I don't want to lag behind God, but I don't want to constantly feel like I'm, I'm somehow behind. And so how, how do we make peace with 
the season. I just, I just think of a woman who was in a really productive season of her life. And because of a move, all of her fruitful ministry is gone and she doesn't know who she is anymore. Um, How do we, how do we, how do we settle into the seasons, not get stuck there, but really are able to embrace it? Right. You know, just even laying all that under the framework of Ecclesiastes 3, where it says to everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. There is a time to be born. And then there is a time for some things to die. There is a time to plant, but then there also is a time for things to be to pluck, be plucked up and harvested. There's a time for breaking down and there's a time for building up. There's a time for weeping and a time for laughing. I think most of us want to live only in the the being born and in the planting and in the healing and in the building up and in the laughing. We don't want to be in the weeping and the breaking down. I mean, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. I, I was always like, what does that mean? But then I couldn't even hug my grandma or my best friend for yeah. a while. You know, I mean, there's just right. all of these times and that's just the way that's that's the way that God rolls for whatever reason. And it is the ancient way of growing slow. And it doesn't mean that I like it. Right. But there is a season for everything and a time for every purpose under heaven. And that sometimes includes things that we don't like. Hmm. But the starting over is um, and, and these new beginnings create new opportunities that we couldn't have experienced otherwise. When we moved here, I it was a clean slate. My career was over. All of my friendships were gone. Um, I had no notion that I ever had ever write anything again. And now, because of that fresh slate, only now, long time later, you know, ten years later, then I was a published author. You know, now we're you know fifteen closing in on twenty years of being here, and there's this life that I am. It's, it's still the summer. It took a long time for things to grow up out of the ground. Uh, but in the midst of all that, we're very difficult, lonely winter seasons. I went three or four years without even having anybody that I could really call a friend. Mm. And um, because in a small community, everybody is so very nice, but a lot of people already belong to longstanding friendships and relationships that have really existed for generations. And it was difficult to find my way. Um but in those times, only now can I see in reverse what I couldn't always recognize in the middle of it. And it's that way often, isn't it? Yeah, so often. We can't see, you know, when your friend is like right now in this new place and her ministry and her friendships and all those things just feel like blown to smithereens. It's like, what now? Right. And we don't know. We don't know what's next. We just have to take time to reflect back when it does happen. Yeah. I, I felt like the Lord kind of gave me a picture as I was talking with her of it's it's as though because she had lived in this one community her whole life. And so her roots had gone down deep, deep, deep. Mm-hmm. And then it was time for this transplanting. And, you know, you don't go, you're not able to go grab every little tendril of those roots. And so there's some shock that happens as you're uprooted from one place to be put into another what helped you navigate that that transplanting time in your life? I, you know, I honestly, I don't think I did it very well um, because I was often living in that space of 
regret mm. and wondering, did we, were our friends right? Did we make the wrong decision? Um, I can picture in my mind what I think was really day one of growing slow. And it was this moment when a Des Moines Register reporter, which is where I had worked, had come out to take a picture of our family at the edge of a field. And both Scott and I have a child on our hips. They were just little kids. And I was looking at this colleague with whom I had covered many very important news stories over the years, thinking, man, I wonder what he thinks. I wonder what he thinks right now. And maybe maybe they're right. Maybe we did make the wrong choice. And it took me a while to come around to that and say, but what if they're wrong? Yeah. Because they weren't living the life that I was running into the ground. I was. And I was paying the price. If I could, I would go back to that Jennifer and say, today is a day to begin celebrating a choice, a very wise choice that you made. I didn't get to see the harvest of my previous life. I left before the fields were even turning brown. Everything was greening up and the rows were touching and the rain was coming at the right time. And I abandoned a field full of fresh crops to go somewhere else and plant something new. And I can't, I couldn't see then what I only know now. And in fact, little gifts that were a part of that journey that I didn't even really realize until I wrote the book. And I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> that was a, such a gift. That, that was growing slow right there. Wow. That it was happening. Wow. I think you've touched on so many important things. You know, how, how do we how do we live the life we've been given without regret? How do we, you know, uh, I think of Paul's words, whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. And mm-hmm. there is an art form that that we have to cultivate. But I know for me, I had to stop living in the there. And I had to learn how to live in the here the here and the now. This is the one life I've been given. And so how to flourish wherever that is, whatever we're doing. But wow, it it must, it did take a big, let me, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but did it take a lot of faith to leave the green, green field to go to some place that you didn't know really what, what was going to happen? That is such an interesting question, especially given the fact that my faith was quite new. Yeah. I I did grow up in the faith, Joanna, but I intellectually did not believe the concept of a risen savior. And it really didn't start to click until my late 20s. And it took a long period of study and the Holy Spirit convincing me and convicting me and all kinds of crazy stuff. I probably gave my Lord to my life to the Lord 50 times. <laughs> Just like, is it, am I good now? Am I good to go? Am I good to go? Once was good. Let's do it again. Let's try. Shouldn't I feel different? So coming here, I didn't, I wouldn't say I had a super established faith. Right. And I don't know that I fully looked at it in the context of faith. Uh, but having moved here was where God grew my faith. And that was a sweet, sweet gift coming out, uh, being here and having my own life mirror a growing season, my own faith life mirror a growing season that God was growing some pretty crazy new seeds in me uh, through the Bible. I mean, it was not long after we moved here. I just, I started reading and studying the Bible like 
I like I'd never studied anything before in my life more than I'd studied any journalism textbook. I was like, this is amazing. Like I could not get enough of God's word. I would literally be reading the Bible while I was drying my hair, could not get enough of it. And so it was a really beautiful time of my faith, but it wasn't in what motivated me to get here. Sure. You bet. Do you think that there was some space created for that to happen, not only in time, but having our identity, uh, our productivity, even our friendship stripped away that took you to a deeper place with the Lord? Absolutely. There's sometimes I'm jealous of that, Jennifer, because um, she really dug in and there was a there was a prize um, because I didn't have friendships, I didn't have productivity, but it really turned out to be an investment. Yeah, and it's an investment into me. But I, that that younger Jennifer mentors to this Jennifer now, mm. and mm. reminds me what a beautiful thing it is to pour myself into God's word and to really let God's word pour itself into me. Yeah, I know. For me, it was coming to the end of myself coming to the end of my dreams, my spectacular life right. that, that did make some room for Jesus. You know, I was so busy. I, I've always been a Jesus girl called to ministry at 16, but I was so busy, busy, busy serving Jesus that I didn't really, and I didn't really know how to know Jesus. And so that was my journey and part of what I write about. But, you know, we were talking before we went on that, um, that you're a farmer's wife, you have a significant online presence, you mentor women online, you write all these beautiful books, and you've also added the title editor (laughs) to your resume. And you work for Bethany uh, with Baker Books, which which is the parent company of my new book publisher. And I'm like, but you said something powerful. You said, yes, but can you remember what you said? Right. So I don't remember exactly what I said, but I will tell you this, that hurry does not always have to do with what is on a to-do list Gotcha. or what's on your calendar. We know that because our calendars were whited out um, in 2020 and there wasn't anything on them, but a lot of us had a more hurried heart than we'd ever had before, feeling like I should be hitting these milestones and now I can't. I have friends who are single that say, I lost a whole year of dating and now I got to hurry up and make up for lost time. Author friends who like, oh, I, 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 I launched this last book during a pandemic and now, you know, it didn't sell well. And I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to hustle more. And, you know, right. so we know that it can have these kinds of effects. And we're still, we still get to do the good, the great things that God has called us to do in this life. There is a difference between being hurried and hustled and busy and being productive for the Lord. And it is a, finding that sweet spot is, is really critically important to our mental and physical and spiritual health. Um, God doesn't call us now, you know, to slow down and just quit everything and stop doing the great things that he's called us to do. I, I would really feel sad if my book had that impact on somebody. I want to empower people to enjoy their lives as they are. Now that may, they may need to look at their calendars and to-do lists, but ultimately it's a state, it's an interstate of, of hurry hanging around the heart. So 
I am able to be a Bethany House acquisitions editor and batch that work um, between Tuesdays and Thursdays and do my other work on the, the bookend days. Um, it's a little different right now because I'm launching a book as well. Thankfully, I have a very gracious employer who is flexible with me to make those things happen. Um, and I know not everybody has that. But I do think that, uh, that that there's a way to keep moving forward, but not having to, to hurry to get there. And, and you can still get to the finish line. And we know that because remember who won the race between the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I keep thinking of Dallas Willard's famous quote. He he told someone who asked him the secret of his life and or the secret to life. And he said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And so I'd like you just, could you unpack that? Like how, as you're moving now in these new roles, what, what are there some guard, guidelines for you? Are there some warning bells that you've learned to keep you, to bring you back to that unhurried heart? Right. So I can tell physically when I start to get a hurried heart, um, even on a day like today, where I have had a number of podcasts, I will feel a physical, I don't know how to put it, but just almost a, a warmth that's just too much. Like it, like it's the way that I felt in the newsroom, which I just thought was, that's just the way that you always feel. Like my heart races a little, blood pressure kind of going up. Not because I'm stressed. It's because I'm excited. Yeah. But yeah. then I just have to, t- I mean, I took a nap every single day of my book launch week. Good girl. Because I felt it. I had I had to lay down for 20 minutes mm. to 30 minutes every day. Um, so, I mean, there are, it, it's really going to look different for everybody. But um, I think the thing that you, that you can do um, and the thing that I do is look back on the first two weeks after the lockdown. Mm. And all of a sudden, we were afforded this previously inconceivable look at what the world would look like if it were completely shut down. Yeah. And for our family, it looked like taking walks every day. Hmm. It looked like longer dinners that where we really just had fun together and lit the candles and used the fine china and made things that we'd never made before. It looked like buying and putting together puzzles. Yeah. It, it looks like me trying to be more creative than I ever had been before in my life on how to love my neighbor well, because we couldn't have birthday parties. We couldn't have weddings. Like, how can we love people well? So if I am to take all of that ahead into 2021, those are all unhurried habits. Those are all habits of slowing down. Now, you could, they may be different for you, but you can take those and keep those. Decide what was what were little gifts in that yucky time that could can move you forward into 2021. So I do have a list that I'd be happy to share with your listeners for free. And it's called Habits of the Unhurried. And it is a printable that they can print out and post somewhere where they can see it every day. And it lists like 24 different habits, everything from closing the computer at five to standing out under an open sky every day, making time for play, all kinds of different things. And I'd be happy to share that with your listeners. Oh, 
That is awesome. We will definitely put links in the show notes for that, as well as to your social media, because you guys, you've got, you've got to find Jennifer on Instagram and you're on, you're on Facebook as well, right? Yes. Uh, because she's doing these daily um, shows from the farm. And so it's just so fun because you like, you get to see, and you started in the spring, at least that's the one I caught. And I've been just kind of following you and, um, it's a beautiful, it's just a beautiful metaphor and it's a beautiful, beautiful book. So I hope you guys will also go to the show notes and get a, check out the links and order the book. Jennifer, as we close, cause, oh man, there's so much more. I, I, I would love to talk to you about why heaven is a farm, but, but we'll, we don't, we're running out of time. So would you just pray for, for mm-hmm. us, uh, these sweet, beautiful daughters of God who we really do we don't want to strive. We want to learn the secret of abiding and that fruitfulness flows out of that. But we need the Lord's help. Would you pray over us? Yes, I'd be happy to. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are earth's first farmer and you teach us what it means to grow things slowly For whatever reason, you love watching things grow. You didn't bring us here as fully formed adults. Mm -hmm. You brought us here as babies and that we would give ourselves the grace to grow slowly, not only in our businesses and in our relationships, but in everything. Um, We grow in spiritual maturity. We grow in faithfulness. We grow in generosity. And Lord, continue to plant and grow those seeds so often Our growth is all about the outputs, Lord, and help each woman listening right now to not think solely of outputs and productivity, but to think of the inward work that you are doing in us, that we would begin to see ourselves as fields. It says, and Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you are God's field. Lord, I am God's field, and every woman listening right now is God's field. And Lord, we just ask that you would remind each one of us today that we are more than our outputs and more than what we are growing. Thank you. That you are growing good things in us and through us. Yes. And we thank you for having patience with us no matter what we're growing. And God, I just ask, Lord, that you would bless each woman listening today and that she would see the fruit coming up in the fields and that she would give all the glory and thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Beautiful. Don't you love Jennifer's heart and her message? I don't know about you, but I can get so busy trying to be fruitful. I miss out on the life of Jesus that he came to give. So I hope that we'll take time, no matter what season we find ourselves in, to get rooted and established in love, as Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Because as we come to know the love that surpasses knowledge, the Bible promises that we will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now that's the kind of fruitfulness I want to have, but it is the fruit that comes from growing slow and deep in our relationship with Jesus. I hope you'll check out Jennifer's book and connect with her on social media. And if you have a friend that really needs to hear this growing slow message, I hope you'll forward her the link. Because God wants to do something deep in us, no matter what season we happen to be in, so that you and I live in love. And of course, most of all, love like Jesus. God bless you, my friend.